of Psalm 2. <laughs> Why do the nations conspire and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth rise up and the rulers band together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, let us break their chains and throw off their shackles. The one enthroned in heaven laughs. The Lord scoffs at them. He rebukes them in his anger and terrifies them in his wrath, saying, I have installed my king on Zion, my holy mountain. I will proclaim the Lord's decree. He said to me, you are my son. Today I have become your father. Ask me and I will make the nations your inheritance, the ends of the earth your possession. You will break them with a rod of iron. You will dash them to pieces like pottery. Therefore, you kings, be wise. Be warned, you rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and celebrate his rule with trembling. Kiss his son or he will be angry and your way will lead to your destruction. For his wrath can flare up in a moment. Blessed are those who take refuge in him. And then I'll be reading from Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 to 25. This is how the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law, and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace. He had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. But he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son, and he gave him the name Jesus. Thanks, Sarah. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we give you great thanks that we can come together today and as we've already started off uh, in, in with the kids thinking about you being Lord, we truly want to understand it, uh, to understand you rightly. So help us as we do that now, as we open up your word. Amen. Dictatorship a military dictatorship, an oligarchy, a monarchy, communism, democracy, anarchy, theocracy, totalitarianism, galactic evil empire. We, I'm, it's going to happen today, I'm sorry. Which do you choose to live in? Which do you choose? What style, what style of government do you choose to live in? We're in a democracy and... It's probably the one many of us prefer out of those. And I think if we spend some time reflecting on it and the Western world, what we actually see is we've convinced ourselves democracy is the answer to the global problems of the world. But it's kind of not working out perfectly. 
The Middle East isn't just moving into a peaceful transition to democracy. If you do any reading about what's going on in America at the moment, which uh, some of you know I like to do, there's so many articles saying democracy is dying in the US after their elections. So many articles. Last month, uh, the outgoing president, Obama in Athens, gave a talk arguing for how great democracy is, and he said, and I quote, the problem is with democracy, sometimes people like Trump win. That's what he said. And then he said, but in the end, in the end, justice will win. He's obviously... He and Trump aren't best of friends, right? They're on the opposite sides of the pole. But his point is, while people are freaking out about democracy, don't worry, that's what happens. In the end, this is the best model. Democracy is the best. Democracy is going to win. So his point in many ways in that article was, have faith in democracy. Here's, uh, uh, I think, a point that is contrast to God. God does not want us to put our faith in democracy. Now, I'm not turning into some kind of communist socialist, and we'll get there through the talk, but I want to start with that point. Because what we're dealing with today is the idea of Jesus being Lord as Him as ruler. As today's title points out. So we're dealing with authority and rule. How are we to think about these things? So the question we're asking is, why is it so important that Jesus is Lord? Why is it an important thing? And I reckon, uh, if, you've, if, if you've ever been around Christian circles in any way, it's a word that just kind of gets thrown out there. It just kind of gets used. It's kind of like saying God, Lord, you kind of mean the same thing. And its impact and importance can kind of lessened because of that it's almost like a throwaway line it's a little bit like how ethan uses dad to me sometimes he just uses dad to get my attention dad that doesn't work so he goes straight to michael 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 and it's just just this device to get my attention and there's no real meaning behind the way he uses it it's just what you use that doesn't take away from the fact that only he and his two sisters get to call me dad that there's great meaning behind it. The relationship that we have is one of father-son. So what we're going to do today, what we're going to do today is we're going to think about why this word Lord is important. You see, as I put very simply on the screen, which should be clear to you, one of my points today is Lord equals ruler. The one with authority the one with power, the one who can change, the one who makes the decisions, the one who enacts. You see, a ruler, I, I looked up, why is it called a ruler? I was intrigued by this after just thinking about Why is it in called a ruler? And it's because it derives from a word which says to straighten or to guide. Oh, that makes sense. To lead. An actual ruler does this not with a line, but he does it with authority, starting to make change. And so where do we go? Well, the first thing I think we need to see is that the Lord is the Lord. That sounds like a strange thing to say, but when we talk about God, we are saying He is the one with all authority and power. He is the Lord. 
And I think we see that very clearly in what Sarah read for us in the first reading today in Psalm 2. Let's have a look at the first few verses of it. And I'll come up on the screen one at a time where you can open them up in your Bibles. Why do the nations conspire and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth rise up and the rulers band together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, Let us break their chains and throw off their shackles. The one enthroned in the heavens laughs. The Lord scoffs at them. He rebukes them in his anger and terrifies them in his wrath, saying, I have installed my king on Zion, my holy hill. The Lord is the Lord, the ultimate Lord, the par excellence, the supreme one. And as you see this uh, psalm and how it starts off with, there's all these people who are trying to get independence from God. They want to be their own rule. The nations are conspiring, the peoples are plotting, the kings are rising up, the rulers band together. They're wanting independence from God and they see it as slavery. Verse 3, let us break their chains and throw off the shackles. They want to do it their own way. And the point is, as you see in the screen, God is the Lord and every other attempt is absurd. Psalm 2 just points out how ridiculous God sees it. Verse 4, he laughs. Look at these little people trying to be the ruler. Look at these kings who think they're the mighty ones. Look at this band, band of rulers. Gee, they're funny, aren't they? Gee, they're, they're cute. He mocks them. He scoffs at them because their in- attempt at independence is just absurd. No one can be independent of God and his authority. And so there's the, the harsh side to it in verse 5. He rebukes them in his anger and terrifies them in his wrath. This is a ridiculous picture and yet it's a great little snapshot of humanity. From the moment of the fall, humanity's seeking to go independently from God and his rule. God sees all the attempts and it's a no contest. There's no hope of success. There's no chance to destroy God's reign. The latest Star Wars movie was all about, is there any chance to destroy the Empire? And the whole movie is about that. Is there any hope? And there is. They get the plans. There are no spoilers. Yeah, that's right. (laughs) If you didn't know that, well, then you've got our bigger issues. But the, the point is, the point is, there's no secret plan in which you can overthrow God. He sees it all. He knows everything and he sees it ridiculous when there's an attempt to try because he is the Lord. That's worth pondering just how how much in authority his rule is. See, but the thing is, 
that's not actually God's plan. You see, God's plan was never to have humanity seeking to usurp his authority. Actually, it's the opposite to that. The very heart of our relationship with God, when he establishes us, when when he creates us, he points to the fact that we're made to live in rule with him, under him. Look at Genesis chapter 1, verses 27 and 28. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. What's it mean to be made in the image of God? Look at verse 28. God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Part of being made in the image of God is to know that God has given you, as humanity, authority over the world, under Him, not independently of Him, not to contradict Him, but to live under His beautiful and glorious rule. See the contrast? Psalm 2 the nations and the kings and the rulers are independent, and yet we were made. To rule under him. Under God, his way. Can you see the contrast? It's actually why democracy is maybe a good idea. Because when humanity seeks to rule on its own, when humanity or people within humanity try to do their own thing and be a dictator, we're going to get it wrong. It's going to be a disaster. It's maybe why it's one of the good options. It helps keep accountable. It's not the solution. It can't be. Obama's wrong when he says that in the end, democracy will win out. Because if Psalm 2 is right, in the end, the Lord is going to win out. And he's not going to put up his power to a vote. I reckon I'd probably much prefer to live in a democracy this side of heaven but it's not needed it's not the solution it's not the above all and end all so what happens what is God to do what should he do when he's set out humanity on a path humanity rejects that path does he abandon his plan to make humanity rulers of the world is that what he does? Well, we've been going back and forth through Matthew and, uh, and Luke as just a way of tapping into some of the different titles. It's a bit of a different way to do it this year. And we read Matthew, Matthew chapter 1, which had all the other titles in it, and in, but didn't actually have Lord in it, if you read today. And in Luke chapter 2, verse 11, we read, Today in the town of David, a Saviour has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. See, does he abandon his plan? No. He does something quite glorious and brilliant when you realise from this perspective of rule. He comes as a human to save us and to rule. God's plan that humanity rules still is in place. Jesus, God with us, becomes flesh. Jesus rules. 
Emmanuel is important because God is with us as one of us. How brilliant is that? You see, the picture we have, this birth at Christmas, is, is God coming with the solution to our rebellion. Our rebellion to his lordship. To his total authority. But still giving humanity their place. You see, the only human who could truly rule the world is Jesus. And Psalm 2 even points us to that. Let's go back to Psalm 2, start at verse 5. He rebukes them in his anger and terrifies them in his wrath, saying, I have installed my king on Zion, my holy mountain. I will proclaim the Lord's decree. He said to me, you are my son. Today I have become your father. Ask me and I will make the nations your inheritance, the ends of the earth your possession. You will break them with a rod of iron. You will dash them to pieces like pottery. Look at verse 6. I have installed my king on Zion, my holy mountain. The Messiah is going to reign as king. He is going to be the Lord. It's Jesus His birth is the one who's coming, who's going to be installed as the king, who's going to ultimately be to be seen as that through his death and resurrection. The Lord decrees, you are my son today, I have become your father. As David saying these words, but actually what we're seeing is an allusion to that Jesus, after he grows up and he gets baptized, and what happens at his baptism? You are my son, who I love. And you, I am well pleased. In Luke chapter 3. The one who the, the father is pleased with is his son, who he is given all lordship and authority to. He is installed on his king because God's king is going to reign. He is the one with all inheritance. Ask me and I will make the nations your inheritance. The ends of the earth will be yours. And so... Those that want to try and usurp you face the consequences in that harsh, vivid picture of a rod of iron and being dashed like pieces of pottery. You can't contest this king. And you see what God is doing? It's quite spectacular, isn't it? It's not just a saviour that's just there. He's a saviour who's coming to restore Humanity's relationship with God and the rule that we're supposed to have under Him. God's way is going to work itself out. A Lord is in control of everything that happens. God has complete and utter control of everything that happens. His way will work out. And so... Our picture that we've been building on each week over the last few weeks. I hope you found it helpful as we've been thinking about these titles. They've been kind of challenging to try and um, explain to you because they're not just the usual kind of going through a passage. But as we've been thinking about it, we see Jesus is these four things, as we did with the kids. And I want to 
I want you now to reflect on these four things, see them as a whole, as I uh, wrap up with asking you uh, a question. You see, Jesus is the long-awaited King. That's what we did when we saw He was the Messiah. We went through the whole Bible and we saw when Jesus arrives and at the point of the birth narratives is all that He's the Messiah, He's the Messiah, let me prove to you He's the Messiah. There was this expectation of a King. Jesus is that King. He's a King who is God with us. Not like David and the other kings, He is actually God with us. Emmanuel. He knows us. He gets us. There is nothing that he can't understand about us and he's come into our problem. The Lord of all who makes all things has come into our problem, into our world and our mess, so he can rescue us as saviour. You and I do need a saviour. I don't know if you've ever had to be rescued out of water. But if you have, you can't decide, no, I'll get out of this myself, can you? If you're under the water and you can't get out and your lungs are filling up with water, then is not the time to say, why don't I try myself first? You need someone to pull you out. That is our state before God because we are independent of Him. We need the Saviour. He is a Saviour since He is the only true ruler of all. He is the Lord. His Lordship is not conditional, it is not uh, finite, it is everlasting. And it covers everything that is and will be. There's four ways of seeing Jesus. What do you do with that? You ask yourself the question, where does your allegiance lie? Christmas story is a story of someone who comes, a baby who is going to make a claim on your life. A claim that you need to see him as your king and live accordingly. Whether you see him as king or not, he's still going to be the Lord of all. He's going to come as the saviour of the world and you need to decide, is he going to save you or would you rather drown you need to decide is your allegiance with one who isn't just far away in the in the in the uh, castle looking down on you but actually in amongst you wanting to care for you and deal with your problems as he's come with us You see, the Christmas story is in part a story of people coming to bring their allegiance to the Lord. So you've got the shepherds. You've got the shepherds uh, in in, in, uh, Luke's Gospel who come. And what do they do once they hear from the angels? They go and see. They go out praising and bringing glory to God. 
seems to be where allegiance should lie. That's the response, rather, to where your allegiance should lie. Then there's this little great contrast with Psalm 2, with the magi, the kind of kings that turn up. All of humanity is in rebellion. Then you get these three magi turn up to worship him, to bring him honour and glory. That's how it should be, not how Psalm 2 is. See, but that's only a little snippet. See, the question of where your allegiance lies is, you can say, not with Jesus. But you need to realise, even to the point of your death, you say it's not with Jesus. There will be a time where every knee will bow before him, whether you like it or not. Philippians chapter 2, that great description of Jesus and his humility and, and what he's done for us. Uh, in his death on the cross concludes in in verses 9 to 11 have a look on the screen therefore after Jesus has died God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name he's the Lord you don't get any higher than this you don't get any more encompassing than this that everything is his that at the name of Jesus some knee should, no, every knee should bow. In heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue can acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord. To the glory of God the Father. This is where this Christmas story is going with Jesus being exalted to the highest place, to reign forever, where he will be worshipped. Every tongue confesses that he is the king, that he is the ruler of all. Christmas time is a question of, are you willing to give him your allegiance? Yes or no? It's that simple a question, really. Is this God who has come to do what he's done for you, who cares way more than you can imagine, even in your clearest moments of seeing how he loves you, is he worth your total and complete allegiance? See, it's not a humble birth that means you owe him. It's his humbling himself to the cross where you belong where I belong, that we see what he's done for us. Let's, let me just actually go to Philippians, the beginning, just before that, just to highlight that. Philippians uh, 2, verse 6. Who in being very nature God, did not consider equality God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Jesus came to humble himself for you. 
He's the one, a Lord of all, who, as Philippians says, empties himself to be nothing. Take on our sin. This Christmas, if you consider, is your allegiance to Jesus. Psalm 2 ends with a great phrase, kiss the sun. There's a great phrase, hang on, physical contact again, what's going on? It's metaphorical, right? <laughs> it has to know. It, it's, it's kiss the sun. It's because it's this beautiful picture of submitting to the one who you owe everything to. And it's not just bow down and worship him as the king who you're distant from. You get this intimate relationship with your king. You kiss the son. You can have that close a relationship with him. It's profoundly intimate with the Lord of all. Do you owe him your allegiance? If you've never given Jesus your allegiance, it's not about you needing to be better. It's not about you, well, look what he's done for me, I better stack up. The point is he's come because you don't stack up. Because the picture of Psalm 2 is where you belong. And today, you can just acknowledge that before him and know his title, Saviour, is for you. You can do that today. If that is you today, I'd love to chat to you and encourage you and help you figure that out more. Because it doesn't end there for all of us. We need to constantly always revisit, is our allegiance to Jesus in all of our life? It's not just a Sunday thing. It's not just a personal thing. It's not just some big moments in life where we've got to make big ethical decisions. It's not just in the little things that matter. It's not just in finding rules and regulations. It's every aspect of your life is given to serving the King who loves you more than you could possibly imagine. That's what we try and figure out in different ways each week. How do we give our allegiance to Him in the way that we live, in the decisions that we make, in how we live together as a community of God's people? But before we work out those practical things, like we kind of did in the book of James and we're going through James's, we've all got to be one mind. He is the one who I surrender to. He is the one that I give my allegiance to. Why is it important that Jesus is Lord? Because you owe him your complete and utter devotion. Let's pray. Saviour, Emmanuel, Messiah, Lord. What glorious titles they are to us. To see Jesus and what he's done for us. Father, simply today, convict in our hearts and minds a surrender to your son Jesus. By your spirit, help us all to give all our allegiance
in his mighty and powerful name we pray. Amen.